Welcome to Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon. Hello everyone, welcome back to yet another episode of Sports Weekly with Ayaz Memon and of course we're joined by Ayaz and Somil who'll jump in a little later to chat about all things football. First things first though, India still basking in the glow of the famous and fabulous win at Lords and of course with that comes the question, what's going to happen in the next test match at Leeds? And Ayaz, let's jump straight into it. Yes Ashwin, no Ashwin, yes Jadeja, no Jadeja, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's I think is the is the big question looming in uh, you know in front of both Kohli and uh, Ravi Shastri because uh, I mean a, a formula which has worked so well with playing for four fast bowlers. If you bring in Ravi Ashwin, who do you drop? Uh, because all four fast bowlers in, in at Lords did extremely well. But I think the decision may be made up by the fact that historically Leeds has always favoured the fast bowlers. So I think I don't see a change happening. Maybe in the last couple of matches, the last two test matches, but not for this one. And especially now that England appears so shell shocked against this Australian, uh, the, this Indian pace battery. So I think that uh, you know one can expect the same fast uh, four fast bowlers to retain their places. The issue is whether uh, Ashwin can replace Jadeja. That could be a that could be a thought in the in the minds of the tour selection committee because remember while Jadeja has been excellent in the field as always and has chipped in with runs whenever needed uh, or at least in most most situations he hasn't been successful at all uh, as a wicket taker not that uh, other spinners have even from England but uh, you know the the thought might be there that hey Ashwin was in such magnificent form with the ball and should we try him and get a 2-0 lead and then therefore you know one thing is secure you can't lose the series and in fact you might be moving further ahead to winning the series absolutely i think just the fact also now that uh, jadeja didn't do as well on a slightly up and down lords pitch uh, he's less likely to do better at uh, at a pitch like leeds ashwin also has a bit of a psychological edge after the india tour so just seeing him at the other end might be a little scary for some of the english batsmen who were in india well most of whom are not playing it's really a root versus india series but for the others at least it might just be the reputation might get a little daunting uh and of course he's a frontline spinner not that jadeja is i don't want to go into that zone uh there's always an advantage to having someone like an ashwin all rounder of the year uh playing against a team that's well actually depleted 80% yeah i mean it's it's quite bizarre when you consider it that uh, you know ashwin has taken over 400 wickets he's been your best performing bowler uh, over the last last couple of seasons certainly uh, and then he can't find a place in the team not just that he's bowled well or bowled exceptionally. He's also batted extremely well. He's been, you know, dour and stout-hearted in defence. When it came to it in Australia, he was flamboyant, making a century against England in Chennai. So he's done, you know, I mean, in many ways, it's unthinkable that he should not be part of the playing level. But hey, you know, they've they've taken that call of playing four fast bowlers uh, in the series. And, uh, you know, they've gone with Jadeja. And remember, Ashwin was part of the team that played the WTC final against New Zealand and did quite well. So all these things uh, could be... There are so many things that weigh in favour of Ashwin. Uh, but there's one thing which weighs in favour of Jadeja and that is, it's not the feeling. It's just that why do we want to change a winning combination? You know, historically cricket teams have thought like that. Is it going to be the same case with uh, 
Ashwin for the third test. I know for a long while, both Kohli and Charles Shastri have been saying, we believe in horses for courses. We pick, we pick players for particular conditions and, you know, pitches, especially where the bowlers are concerned. So, yeah, I think the only mitigating factor, frankly, against, uh, against uh, Ashwin's uh, inclusion seems to be the headingly pitch, which, you know, is, is almost always been in favour of fast bowlers. And therefore, if it's not going to help spinners, then, you know, Jadeja with his tight length and line and he doesn't give away too many runs might become the default choice more than anything else. Absolutely. Well, the course is not too far. Let's see what horses get picked in the next two days. The test match starts on the 25th. Speaking of horses, courses, remember, uh, there is a fantasy team to be picked. And while most of the Englishmen pick themselves, given there's only two or three worth picking, which is Joe Root, uh, maybe you want to get Ollie Robinson, James Anderson on reputation. Uh, but from the Indian side, which should really be the rest of the seven that you're allowed in most cases, uh, that's going to be a tough one. Go with the bowlers because there's a lot of form there. There's a lot of opportunity given the pitch, as, as we heard Ayas say right now. And then get in a couple of the best batsmen, the most in form, KL Rahul, Rohit Sharma, probably Ajinkya Rahane. And yes, I am not advising uh, Cheteshwar Pujara as a strong batsman on a difficult pitch just because he seems out of form. So that's your fantasy 11. Go pick wisely. If you win, share the money with me. If you don't, I never advised anything, as always. Well, moving on uh, and staying with England to some extent, uh, Ayaz, there is uh, an India-like situation uh, brewing there, you know, with a lot of the current test players involved in the 100. I mean, we saw England lose and then a couple of days later, Moin Ali was playing in the 100 simultaneously. And is that the best preparation? Should not, shouldn't England really be protecting these players from either overexposure, exertion or just getting them into the right mindsets? Well, I think it's a bit of a muddled itinerary in England. So it's, you know, the, the 100 has been juxtaposed between or while the test series is on. So while teams that have paid money for players, they would want them to be playing also the 100. There's also the in, in England cap that you'd want to lose out on. So I think they've had to straddle uh, straddle both these tools. Uh, remember, the 100 was supposed to start last year. Now, what happens is, unlike, say, in the case of the Indian Premier League, uh, you know, teams, uh, the Indian team doesn't really have any engagements outside the IPL, which is not the case in the, in the, in the, with the 100. Even it's, it's not been the case with the Big Bash. A Big Bash runs simultaneously to the international season. But there, the international players are by and large kept away from the Big Bash matches. What, what we might see now is a so- sort of, you know, you know, one foot here and one foot there situation arising. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how it fares. For England, you're right, because switching from one format to the other can be a challenge. But at the same time, uh, what do you do with, I mean, if, if players are, you know, contracted by the franchises and then they're not available, it might actually bring the house, you know, bring the, the structure down, so to speak. The 100 also has to survive because that's the big gambit that England English cricket has played. So, yeah, it's going to be tough on players like Moeen and some of the others who are playing the uh, the 100 one day and maybe a, a few days later are going back to play a, a, test, a test match. What, of course, helps in, 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 in this situation is that there is not much travel in England. You know, you're traveling maybe a couple of hours from one venue to another. It's not even flying from one city to the other. So that eases the burden on the players, you know, the fatigue. Not just the physical fatigue, but also the mental fatigue. So, 
it's it's still uh, i think a blue sky scenario let's see how it's you know it kind of shapes up Yes, that's true. And uh, as you brought up the IPL, there's been quite a few changes and announcements for the second half of the 2021 season that's coming up next month in the UAE. Uh, the Royal Challengers Bangalore have signed up uh, Sri Lankans Hasaranga and Chamira. Uh, Richardson, Sams and Zampa have left. Simon Katic has stepped down. Glenn Phillips has signed up for Rajasthan Royals with Butler and Archer being unavailable. The Punjab Kings have signed Nathan Elish, Jai Richardson and Riley Meredith are unavailable. Uh, how do you see this impacting the team's chances? I mean, the biggest impact, if you ask me, seems to be for the Royal Challengers Bangalore with two frontline players and a coach stepping down what what really is a, in a mid-season. Yeah, I think all the action seems to be, uh, you know, almost centered around what RCB is doing because they've had a lot of withdrawals, including Adam Zampa and some of the others. And of course, you know, Simon Katic going, but you know, that's a big blow in terms of hierarchy. Uh, so Mike Hessen takes over as the batting coach also. I think Hasaranga is a very interesting or some would say predictable uh, buy by RCB because he did so well against India. He seems to have that little bit of an X factor in him, you know, he's very good with the ball. He's got a he's a new age leg spinner, so to speak. Not he's got a, a couple of surprise deliveries up his sleeve. Uh, you know, sometimes these surprises don't last too long because batsmen and coaches sort them out. But you know, for for this season, for the half of the season remaining, because remember, RCB are in a very good position to make the cut. So that could be the reason why they want to make sure. That playing in the UAE, they are well armed with players who will do well in the UAE. I think that's really the question now. That makes sense. So that action is not too far away. Uh, meanwhile, moving away from cricket for a short bit, the Paralympic Games are starting out very soon. And uh, India does have a fairly large contingent. In fact, it's largest ever with 54 athletes that will be competing across nine sports, including archery, athletics, badminton, canoeing, shooting, swimming, powerlifting, table tennis and taekwondo. Back in 2016, in the Rio edition, the number of athletes that represented India was just 19 across five sports. There are a couple of uh, former gold medalists, Devendra Jajaria and Mariappan Tangavelu, and they're back to defend their Rio titles. Well, what do you make of this, Ayaz? We should be very hopeful, right? I mean, it's just such an amazing achievement to make it to this stage of sport. It is. And I think, you know, to be honest, I think some attention needs to be given to the Paralympics. Uh, we, uh, the last Olympics, yes, there was a, there were stories and there was coverage, etc., etc. But I think uh, a little more needs to be done because if, if sport is not just for those who are able, sport should be for all. And if there is, it's being done at the Olympic level, so to speak, then I think they deserve all the credit because it's a, it's a huge effort to be playing sport or participating in sport and then reaching this level. I'm actually quite confident of both these medals that you mentioned, Mariappan and uh, Devendra Jajaria, because I've met Devendra Jajaria a few times. He's a wonderful guy to to meet and know. And uh, it, it tells you, of, uh, when you meet him, you learn the determination and the grit. And of course, the, the psychological you know handicap that they've had to overcome uh, to reach this level. So I'm hopeful that we'll get a couple of medals, maybe one more than last time would be a a big advancement. Absolutely. Well, look forward to that action coming up very soon from Tokyo again. Well, moving on from the Paralympic Games to football, lots of action going on 
all over Europe. And let's start with the Premier League, where title favourites Liverpool have once again shown that they really are the title favourites. Manchester City hit some strong form with a huge win. Uh, Chelsea have shown they have good form as they well hit a very, very struggling Arsenal. And to talk about all that and much more, we've got Somil joining us. Hey, Somil. Hello, Mr. Fantastic. What a weekend. What a weekend in the Premier League. This was just such an amazing one to watch. Again, the return of the fans makes everything feel extra special right here. But the the Chelsea-Arsenal match, I love that you mention it. Arsenal, well, to be frank, they weren't struggling as much. It just took them time to learn and adapt to a Chelsea squad that was filled with one and one person's influence. It was Romelu Lukaku, their number nine, who's finally joined the team. And isn't it absurd? Sometimes a few players just join into the team only with a couple of days worth of training. And all of a sudden, they feel like they've been in the team for years that was Lukaku for Chelsea. It's like they always needed a forward like him who could just hold up the play, slow things down and open up gaps for the wingers to penetrate. That was what he did. And eventually, by the time Arsenal got a hang of Lukaku and his ways, they were tuned down and that's it. That's how the match ended. A very good tactically planned match, that one. Very fun to watch towards the very end. But you're right, Liverpool got a big win. Uh, Man City were phenomenal. Jack Grealish ended up scoring his first goal. And City... They were that good that they had four different scorers, Mr. Fantastic. That was amazing. Harry Kane was back uh, in the Spurs squad as well. He was in the bench of one and one one nil away win against Wolverhampton. Liverpool beat Burnley two nil. And what can I say about Manchester United? We, uh, some days Manchester United are just the best team in the world. Case in point, what happened against Leeds. But this time out, away to Southampton, they were only good enough for a sluggish draw with Southampton. One one, the end score was. Again, that's just United, right? I, I think you put it very, very well when we discussed it before the recording. It's just Manchester United's way over the last decade. Some days it's the best, some days it's not. Gennaro Gattuso would have another way of saying it, but I don't think I can say that right here. Yeah, you don't know which, which United's going to turn up on which day. I mean, there, there definitely needs to be some thought given to how this team is going to consistently string... Uh, six, eight, ten wins. You know, I mean, it's. I was thinking about this over the weekend as I was watching the games. What is the maximum number of games that a team has lost and won the title? You know, I think for a for a team to go through a season and have a title shot, you can't lose more than maybe half a dozen games. So I think that's also a bit too many. But couple that with draws, and you're dropping points all along. Um, you really shouldn't be losing points away to places like Southampton. Uh, there should really be, as a team, you should have a quota to say that, hey, I'm not going to drop points at Southampton because it's quite likely I might lose them at City or at Liverpool or at Spurs. And now... City uh, United's just actually made their task that much harder by dropping points so early on. So if you had to start a season and say, I can lose maybe five games, I can afford to draw maybe five or six games. Well, that's one crossed out, which should have been in the wins column. And that's really how you not win a title. Definitely. And last year, Man United, uh, I think the highest of the entire top six with 11 draws. That was the reason why they lost so many points to Manchester City. Not the wins. The wins were there, but the draws were the major factor that kept United back down. That has been one of their major problems. But to be fair, to be fair to Manchester United, of course, I am always fair to Man United. They've actually equaled the Premier League away record by going in with 27 
away matches without a loss, which is good, to be honest. I think it's a Premier League record that they've equaled right here, which is amazing. But but you're so spot on with this. You can't afford draws against teams like Southampton's. But uh, to be fair as well to Southampton, they've been very good so far this season, always very compact. And that's the beauty of the Premier League, right? Teams like that can come in and they can spike you. Case in point, Brentford. Brentford nearly came up from the championship. Two games, unbeaten. First they beat Arsenal, now they drew with Crystal Palace. I love that in the Premier League, you don't have dead rubber fixtures. Some team can always come up and surprise you. And that was what Southampton did this weekend. Absolutely. I mean, at this point, to be very honest, uh, Brentford have a better shot at the title than United and Arsenal. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> you can say Arsenal, not United. United might still be there. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. We'll we'll talk about this in December during the winter break. But, um, well, moving on to other leagues where the action is not just on the pitch, but off it as well. What's happening in League One? Why are players throwing stuff back at fans, Romil? What have you been up to? It's been crazy. Uh, nice versus Marseille. It's one of the top derbies in France. Of course, happening in the south of France, this one. But I think we've seen a flashback from the 80s right here. Not in terms of players with mullets dancing around defenders and scoring flashy goals. Not in terms of, well, having hundreds and thousands of fans coming in to watch a football match. It's actually happened in terms of fan violence at a match. How crazy is that? What happened there was Dimitri Payo was taking a corner for Marseille and he was hit by a bottle. And of course, uh, anyone who's hit by a bottle tends to feel a bit angry, right? Especially when it comes from all the disrespectful fans, as they were in that case. So again, Pai being Pai, who's known to have a bit, of a, a bit of a mean streak, ended up throwing a bottle back at them. And all hell broke loose, Mr. Fantastic. Everyone started to invade the pitch. There were fans swarming in, surrounding the players. There was a standoff of sorts. This madness still exists in 2021. It's hard to understand. In a way, it's good to see passion. You, you want to see fans being reactive to something. You, you don't want sports to be dull and not making sure that a reaction isn't evoked from you. But this level, this was a bit crazy. And eventually, we saw the match being suspended with no clue about when the match will be completed next. Maybe, I think mostly it's going to be happening behind closed doors, this one. Well, that's really not what you want after fans have waited so long to get into the stadium. But, uh, well, that's a tough one. Who's right? Who's wrong? Moving on to the La Liga, the Messi-less La Liga. And Barca and Madrid have both played out draws. Very disappointing. Barca's probably starting to see the value of Messi. But I really don't think anyone needs to expound on that anymore. But... What do you think is happening there with Barca? Are, are they really title contenders this year as well? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Barcelona always will be title contenders. Just a bit of a scrappy one, this. Barcelona couldn't quite get past Athletic Bilbao. Uh, it was a very fun match, by the way. 1-1 at the very end with Memphis Depay coming in and scoring that critical away goal. Remember what I said about Lukaku just a minute ago, about some players just joining into the team and fitting in like a glove? Memphis feels just like that for, for Barcelona. Eventually saved the team with his final goal, but... It was more of a defensive effort. It was Bilbao who was constantly attacking. They were very fun to watch. And Pablo Araujo, their, their, uh, their wing back came and came back in and defended Barcelona at the very end. So that was a star performance for them. But eventually it was a heated affair. Eric Garcia got a red card at the end and Barcelona never felt like Barcelona. They were saved in a way. You didn't feel like they had this imposing confidence that Barcelona would normally. Madrid also drew at Levante. And a 3-3 kind of powwow happened out there. And these are the top two teams. So there's no big stars on either side now. And I think this probably also evened out the league there. 
It has. I loved watching the Madrid-Levante match. I think Madrid maybe saw Levante and thought, well, this is Barcelona. Let's not, let's not play our A game until the very end. And that's what, what, that's what eventually happened. Crazy, crazy fight this one. Three all eventually. Gareth Bale scored the first goal. Then Levante ended up, Levante, I'm sorry, ended up scoring two. It was two all uh, by the time we got to the knee, the end part of the match. And then Vinicius Jr., the, the young Brazilian Left, uh, long Brazilian left wing, I'm sorry, for Real Madrid, who eventually just ends up missing quite a few goals, scored a double. He was their saviour. But what a match, Mr. Fantastic. This was a proper, proper thriller. And I think this is what La Liga needs, right? They don't need to bank on just a couple of players for the entire audience. Just put up exciting football like this one and everyone will watch. Absolutely. Well, uh, moving on to the Bundesliga... And Bayern had a tough fight beating FC Köln. And Dortmund lost to Freiburg. Uh, is this the video game version that we're reporting? It genuinely is. It almost feels like a match you'd have with your friends on, friends on FIFA. Because Freiburg, they had only 23% possession. Dortmund had 700 passes. Dortmund had all the stars in their team. But they let two goals pass. And you know how Dortmund scored their only goal in this 2-1 loss? It was an own goal. This, this literally is like a game of FIFA you play with your friends at night where the scrappy player eventually ends up getting that win. And this is just a mad, mad way to begin the league. Honestly, it, of course, not a good omen for Dortmund as it stands. But you saw, right? Dortmund felt assertive, just lacking that final X factor in that team. Maybe missing a certain Jaden Sancho. Who knows? But again, even United hasn't done much good with him yet, still. Well, and our last trip around Europe takes us to Italy, uh, where Jose Mourinho is off to a winning start with Roma beating Fiorentina uh, in a two-red card game, you know, 3-1. Uh, Juventus with Ronaldo benched was held 2-2. And Ronaldo wants to leave. Messi's already talking about going to the United States. What's going on here? Uh, well, let's first get over with Mourinho's win. Oh yeah, Mourinho, Mourinho won in Mourinho fashion, basically. When Roma beat Fiorentina, it was a game that had two red cards. Of course, it's a Mourinho game. It was a game that had high drama. Of course, it's a Jose Mourinho game. Uh, they eventually ended up winning 3-1. Tammy Abraham was the star performer right there. And he joined in from Chelsea. And a very rare situation to see an English player playing abroad. But Tammy was very good, getting two assists on his debut. And that was quite a fun one for Roma. Juventus, on the other hand, man, uh, I think it's just a weird thing. Uh, Ronaldo was benched, firstly. Uh, that's the one thing I should tell you. But they were held in 2-2 by Udinese. But it could have been different. Ronaldo came in towards the end part, scored an amazing tap-in, uh, <laughs> which got counted out. But Ronaldo didn't know that. So he ended up taking his shirt off, celebrated, got a yellow card, until VAR said, uh, sorry, sir, I think you're slightly offside. And so Juventus, instead of getting an amazing 3-2 win, had a 2-all draw. Talk about that. How crazy was that? Well, thank you so much, Samil, for being here. And we'll see you next week. Absolutely, Mr. Fantastic. So much good stuff coming up in terms of the cricket, the football, the US Open that's about to begin as well. Uh, amazing stuff. Can't wait. Well, that's that for this week. Thanks so much, Ayaz, for joining us again. And we'll look forward to catching up with you next week with all the action from the Leeds Test match. Thank you, Mr. Fantastic. Thank you, Samil. I, I think we're going to have some... Great action coming up in the in the Leeds test. This will tell us, this match actually, how much is England really in the dumps or have they been able to uh, extricate themselves and just how good, not the Indian bowling is, we know how good that is, not how well the openers are doing, we know how well they've done, not 
whether the tail enders can make runs or not, they've done that. But how the middle order, which in my opinion is still a bit of a, uh, you know, has been very tepid, very lukewarm, not, not too many runs for Virat, some runs for Pujara and Rahane, but not as much as expected. And also from uh, Rishabh Pan. So that's, if that comes through, if these guys start making runs, then I think England's goose is cooked. Well, let's hope that that goose is cooked. Thanks everyone for listening in. Mm-hmm.